You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we'll delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation. The financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. I'm Ilana Singer, Chair of the Toronto Centre Securities Advisory Board. Today, we will be discussing how Australia is leading the way in incorporating technology to innovate in an area as fundamental as how trades are settled and cleared. By now, everyone has likely heard of blockchain as it relates to Bitcoin and other crypto assets. However, blockchain or distributed ledger technology in general extends beyond cryptocurrencies. The Australian Securities Exchange is currently in the process of incorporating this technology to replace CHESS, the exchange's settlement system and electronic securities depository. To get a senior regulator's perspective on this project, I'm thrilled to be joined today by Oliver Harvey, Chief Supervisory Officer at the Australian Securities and Investments Commission. As Chief Supervisory Officer, Oliver currently leads ASIC's close and continuous monitoring program of Australia's major financial institutions. Prior to joining ASIC, Oliver worked at McKinsey & Company in its global corporate and institutional banking practice. Oliver has more than 20 years of experience in financial services and financial markets and has seen firsthand the impact that technology can have on the industry and on regulators and supervisors. So a warm welcome to you, Oliver. It's wonderful to be here, Alana. Thank you for the invitation. It's our absolute pleasure. And I'd like to start with this first question that's been on my mind since I first heard about this cutting-edge initiative. Clearing and settlement infrastructure is often systemically important to an economy. What role does ASIC have in the ASX chess replacement process? Let me tackle that question by painting for you a bit of a landscape of the Australian regulatory framework insofar as it relates to clearing and settlement facilities. Obviously, you have the Australian Securities and Investments Commission, of which I am a representative, and our essential purview is to oversee clearing and settlement facility operators to ensure that their services are provided in a fair and effective way. We do that in very close conjunction with our colleagues at the Reserve Bank of Australia, who have a very specific lens around ensuring that clearing and settlement facilities operate with a focus on the systemic risk management of the Australian financial system. And in circumstances where we're dealing with infrastructure as significant as the chest replacement, we also have a particular line of engagement with the competition regulator who naturally has an interest in ensuring that any change of this magnitude is undertaken and delivered in a way that appropriately supports competitive tensions within the Australian financial system. Thank you, Oliver. It's clear that this is a multi-party and multi-stakeholder type of initiative. And in that respect, it's interesting to see how ASIC is involved in the whole process, particularly given the importance of clearing and settlement in the markets. Now, these types of facilities are required to meet certain regulatory or supervisory requirements, such as operating fairly and effectively. To make sure that these goals are not compromised, 
I presume there needs to be adequate technological resources and risk management arrangements. How does ASIC assess this in the context of such a large-scale system change? The first response I'd give to that question is clearly this is a consideration in the context of the scale of change that you've just referred to. But more broadly, the requirement to have adequate technological resourcing and risk management arrangements is one that is front and centre for Australian regulators when they look at clearing and settlement facilities more broadly. And just to give you some context and background for that, last year we completed an important piece of work with ASX where we had a good look at the extent to which they were effectively deploying uh, their technology governance and operational risk arrangements. And I would encourage any of your listeners to review that report. It's on our website. It's Report 592, and we published that in September last year. And that quite methodically goes through a range of really important features of ASX's current arrangements, including its operational risk management frameworks, its technology governance, its enterprise architecture, and its incident management, and looks very, very closely at ASX's current practices and identifies a number of areas in which uh, additional focus is uh, very much encouraged. And the way in which we've presented those findings is ideally in a way that's very accessible, not just to infrastructure providers, but to uh, people across the market more broadly. And as I said, I'd really encourage any of your listeners who have an interest in this area to review our report. There are a number of recommendations which go uh, quite uh, methodically through our analysis and amount to a number of important things that we think are, are relevant, not just for market infrastructure providers, but for everyone involved in the Australian financial market, including participants as well. The expectations that you've described and that are outlined in some detail in the report from September of last year, do those expectations of ASIC extend through to the wider industry implementation of the technology? Look, the short answer to that is very much so. A change of the scale uh, that we are contemplating and which you're obviously very interested in needs to have a firm focus on the deployment taking place in a way that creates the minimum amount of disruption to the market and in turn uh, returns the greatest amount of benefit. So one of the things we're naturally very interested in is the extent to which ASX is engaging the industry through the consultation process. Now that has been an extensive process. It continues to be an extensive process. Uh, As you might uh, might expect in a process of this magnitude, uh, a number of people feel that the consultation has been sufficiently extensive. A number quite naturally uh, are of the view that it hasn't been extensive enough and are seeking more detail and greater insight into the consequences of the change for their particular business model. But certainly consultation and transparency are very, very fundamental to the change management associated with something of this magnitude. And at least one of the outputs of that change process, in addition to a range of uh, insights and perspectives that have been uh, been flushed out as a consequence of, of all the meetings and the discussions that have taken place is there has been a pushback in the proposed launch date. So that is now scheduled for March to April 2021. And that is in response to quite firm feedback from the industry that uh, more time was needed to fully contemplate the consequences of this change for individual business models and the way in which people uh, would need to respond to them. It's clear from your description, Oliver, that there has been a lot of consultation and transparency throughout this process. Now, speaking of the wider industry, what has been the response of industry and other stakeholders to the chess replacement and the use of DLT? Are they embracing it? You described some of the responses that ASX has now been responsive to. Perhaps you could go into more detail into that. Mm Fair to say, I think, along with the reaction in the international community, domestically, there's been a considerable response and an interest 
in the chest replacement and clearly it's deploying uh, elements of DLT technology as part of that proposed solution, I think you'd find a considerable level of interest quite aside from the DLT dimension of the chest replacement, clearly where you have fundamental market infrastructure that's potentially being swapped out and being swapped in with something else. There's an obvious question that everyone has about how that change will impact them, particularly in circumstances where market infrastructure typically is something that's organically developed over time. In the case of uh, chess, over the course of almost a quarter of a century, and individual users typically build up their own bespoke relationships with that existing technology and swapping that out and replacing that with something else uh, naturally gives rise to quite considerable considerations that people have about how their old world uh, may or may not change with the new technology and what's uh, coming down the pipeline. So if I were to characterise the specific areas of reaction, uh, it would be fair to say I think that the thirst for additional detail has absolutely been a theme that's been driving the industry response. Uh, yes, they recognise that it's a technology solution that is being proposed, but what does that actually mean for me? What are going to be the costs associated with the various ways in which I might access the new post-trade infrastructure? How is it going to change my business model? Who is going to be responsible and what are the governance arrangements for any data I might be sharing? And more specifically, particularly with an industry uh, like the Australian securities industry that is suffering um, and experiencing some margin pressure, what does this mean potentially for my business more generally? Uh, the nature of uh, post-trade infrastructure too naturally gives rise not just to direct participants, being the clearing and settlement participants within the ASX community, but you can imagine issuers, investors, custodians, registries, and everyone associated with the ecosystem has got a very, very firm interest in the nature of the changes and what it means for them. Thank you, Oliver. That was a very clear description of how so many different stakeholders have various interests and opinions about the project moving forward. And I'm sure given the impact of this project, there are many challenges with the adoption of this technology from ASIC's perspective. Does the presence of DLT in ASX's chess replacement raise specific regulatory or supervisory issues or challenges for ASIC? Again, I'd probably respond immediately to that question by saying, let's not lose sight of the fact that all post-trade infrastructure in developed marketplaces are predicated very, very heavily on the use of technology. And clearly the Australian financial system is one that uh, deploys technology in almost every element of its practice, risk management, clearing and settlement processes. So as a starting position, one of the curious questions we had uh, when we reflected on the use of elements of DLT in the replacement solution was, does this give rise to a different set of questions to those that had preceded circumstances where there are other technology releases to support uh, various technology initiatives and change processes that infrastructure providers or for that matter, any important financial institution within our marketplace was, was using and adopting. And the short answer is, at the most fundamental level, having scoped through all our different set of expectations and principles, we didn't see a set of rules and expectations which needed to be recrafted to accommodate a DLT solution. Now, we keep that under vigilant watch, but that's our starting point, and we thought about that quite considerably. 
The next question for us then becomes, well, in circumstances where a DLT solution is being proposed, of those overarching principles and expectations, like, for example, the need to have adequate risk management arrangements and appropriate technology resources, is there an additional set of nuanced questions that we might be asking to get to the bottom of the question of whether or not the DLT solution proposed in its form as shared with us is one that's fit for purpose? And again, perhaps by way of assisting your readers, you may have an interest in ASIC's Information Sheet 219, which we published in March 2017. Now, these are all on ASIC's websites, but we quite methodically went through DLT and evaluated the various different quirks and features of DLT solutions and tested ourselves against whether or not there were an additional set of questions, not about the different ways in which the regulatory obligations might apply, but more a different set of questions that we would need to be comforted about or that we might typically ask to uh, in order to get satisfaction that those obligations were in fact being met. And so, again, I would encourage your uh, listeners to go through uh, that information sheet, but it tackles questions like how will the DLT solution be used in any particular context? How will data be governed? Uh, how will the deployment of the DLT process be governed more more specifically, and, and as I mentioned, there are a range of set of questions which we've worked our way through, and have a level of comfort about uh, the way in which the DLT solution is at least being presented and considered at this point in time. Probably a couple of things just worth highlighting. When we talk about a DLT solution, there are obviously a range of different ways in which DLT is deployed, and you might have the traditional Bitcoin model in your head, but there are a number of features of what's proposed by ASX that differ quite fundamentally from your more traditional uses of DLT, like I said, potentially in the Bitcoin context. So for example, this is a private DLT solution. It's a permissioned ledger. Uh, only ASX will be able to write to the ledger. There's no consensus mechanism. So a number of the features that you might describe in the more exotic DLT solution model and the more sort of traditional DLT solution model aren't present here and have been quite considered and have been thought through as not being appropriate for the kind of solution that's being uh, proposed by, by ASX. So we've come along on that journey. We continue to uh, be vigilant. Uh, we continue to evaluate uh, what's put before us, but hopefully that gives you a reasonable perspective on the way in which our starting position is first and foremost, the technology underpins every element of financial markets. What is it that's different about this form of technology that might cause us to ask a different set of questions? I've hopefully explained some of those to you and for your listeners, you might also be interested in, as I mentioned, InfoSheet 219, which is set out on a website, which highlights the range of questions we might ask about this DLT solution and any DLT solution we might see in the FinTech context. Thank you. I can certainly say for myself that I will be looking up InfoSheet 219 because it sounds like that can be useful, not only in the context of this particular type of large scale system change, but really any you know use of DLT and um, sort of thinking through from a regulatory perspective, what are the different questions that one needs to ask? And thank you for picking up that point because it was really designed for that very purpose. We could see a number of years ago that DLT and certainly the dialogue and in some respects, possibly even the, the hyperbole and the angst was a prominent feature of the discourse. And we felt it was really important to the extent possible to get ahead of the curve and not just to make clear that there are fundamental things that we needed answers to, but enable the industry to shape any DLT solution they might want to bring to the table and give them a very clear set of signposts about the kind of things that we would be focused and interested in. And so that information sheet, which... Um, 
you've just referred to is uh, our attempt to do that. Um, and we feel that it has stood the test of time. Again, we continue to reassess it to determine its currency. We think it still is a valuable way in which industry ought to think about their DLT solutions and get a good sense of the way in which ASIC as an agency is likely to explore the viability and the acceptability of what they're putting forward. And I also like, Oliver, the way that you sort of characterize how all, you know, clearing and settlement and many other aspects of the market uh, have as their underpinning technology. And so to think about technology in a different way or to, you know, to actually apply the same principles, but maybe have to ask different questions, right. I think is a very useful tool yeah. for regulators and Absolutely. supervisors. Absolutely. Thinking again about challenges and opportunities that you and your team have had in this process, what would you characterize as the biggest challenge for you and your team? Look, and without sounding glib, I think at its most fundamental, I'm going to say something which probably doesn't come as a surprise to anyone. This technology is relatively new. And the ideas that are being explored are often ideas that are raised and considers with further work still to be done to bottom out their viability. And the question for us as regulators is, what's our point of insertion to evaluate thinking as it occurs or to evaluate the end product and how much detail is an appropriate level of detail at various points along the journey. So again, is it a DLT solution specific answer? Probably not. It's more of a fintech new conundrum that I think regulators around the world consistently face. But how much level is an appropriate level of detail to get comfort recognising that the point at which you're typically asking questions and are desiring more detail is probably not a point that on every occasion there is that kind of detail to give you the sense of comfort that everything is moving in the right direction. Where do you position yourself as a regulator along that uh, evolutionary journey? I would say is absolutely the focus of us when we reflect on how best to tackle this kind of proposal or any pro proposal of its magnitude or novelty. And so speaking of challenges for you and your team, I assume given your background, uh, that you are not all technologists. How have you educated yourselves on the technology, its risks, challenges, and also how all of that is related to ASX's deployment of the technology? Mm -hmm. The first thing I'd say in response is we do have some technologists quite deliberately employed in the team. And that, again, is probably not just a specific DLT solution response, but a better and deeper recognition. And I referenced earlier the piece of work that we'd done on ASX, quite aside from any chest replacement, but needing and recognising the criticality of having a good understanding of some technical features of technology, but also some really important associated features of things like governance, decision-making, resourcing, enterprise architecture, and all those things that go along with sound, strong, highly effective and strongly efficient uh, technology systems. In terms of educating ourselves about the specific nature of the risks, deploying the skill sets that we do have and keeping a very strong insight and communication line into think tanks, other agencies within the cohort of Australian government bodies that have a very firm and cutting edge focus on technology developments, including DLT, like a group here called Data61, which has been set up quite specifically to tackle the latest and greatest technology initiatives and their potential application. Having those kind of relationships, those strong information sharing uh, avenues and keeping up to date to the extent at all possible with the latest thinking has been absolutely critical and continues to be. And it's probably something that as we reflect on our future state, 
as an organization and where the world's going, you can imagine those kind of skills internally, but also those avenues for information sharing are going to be even more critical as we tap into epicenters of excellence, not just domestically, but internationally as well. Thank you, Oliver. That was an area that I was personally very curious about, as I'm also trying to educate myself on the technology, uh, which is in part why I'm very interested in reading your, your paper and, in fact, also your paper on ASX, because it sounds like that also delves to some extent into the technology and into some of the governance frameworks, among other things. Uh, understanding that technology and all of the terminology around it seems to be turning into a bigger part of regulators and supervisors' roles these days. Now, there's no doubt that fintech startups are successfully disrupting segments of the financial services industry. Do you think that the market infrastructure providers are at risk? It's a really good question and one that we consistently reflect on. You're absolutely right, and I think it clearly goes without saying that fintech startups are disrupting disrupting parts of the industry. One of the interesting features we reflect upon about market infrastructure is unlike some other areas where you might think uh, there is more ripe opportunity to introduce fintech solutions, when you look at market infrastructure, there is obviously a highly established, highly embedded fintech provider, if you like, someone operating at the intersection between finance and technology who has for a long, long time had a very established presence and service provision across the industry. And the question then becomes the extent to which they are actually open to and susceptible to fintech attacks. And the question I think you probably would need to ask yourself is, is it slightly different because you're really asking an entire industry, as ASX to some extent is even in and of itself as the incumbent, to change business models that have evolved along with the financial market infrastructure provider and have those replaced by something completely different. Now, of course, there are also other features of market infrastructure which raise interesting questions, like, for example, uh, the centralised risk management function, and does that change? And are there different risks that get created by other part or full solution providers there is no, I think, clear answer to any of this, but it is an interesting tension point between uh, appropriate competition and appropriate risk management. How does all that work? No question, I think, that market infrastructure providers are certainly more aware of competitive tensions in the Australian financial market. That's most certainly the case. A number of uh, competitors is, which have established themselves over more recent times to tackle part of the market infrastructure provider business. The question then becomes the extent to which others follow suit and provide competitive alternatives or whether there is sufficient competitive tension introduced for the incumbent market infrastructure provider to change their business model to respond to that competition and provide improved services. So I'm not sure that there is necessarily one answer to that question, but it's a very, very interesting one and one that we do think is possibly a little different to other parts of the market where you might have less established players and perhaps even uh, less finance and technology-driven solutions, which, which would inevitably make those parts of the market more ripe for opportunity for attack. Thank you, Oliver. That gives our listeners certainly a lot to think about um, in terms of both the incumbents and those who are disrupting this space. As we wrap up this podcast, what advice do you have for other regulators and supervisors who may be confronted with large-scale infrastructure change like this, and in particular with cutting-edge technology? The first response 
I would have to that is it is complex and it is large scale. And I'm sure your listeners wouldn't underestimate the magnitude of the challenge and the size of the change management process that needs to accompany any infrastructure change of the magnitude that ASX is proposing. And in terms of advice, particularly around cutting edge technology changes, it would really be to be fearless in asking questions. A lot of the technology is new, not just to regulators, but to proponents of it. And there's always a good set of questions for regulators, even if they don't have the traditional technology skills, regulators worth their soul typically bring to the table a good set of sensible, thoughtful questions, which potentially go beyond the business model and the commercial imperative that's being presented to you by the proponent of the technology change. Questions about how those changes roll out, what are the risks, how they've been thought through, what are the governance processes, what are the timelines, what's the change management schedule. All those things are really, really critical questions which regulators should be fearless about asking. And if you don't have the answer first time, uh, it's in all likelihood because some of those answers haven't been sufficiently formed give you to give you the level of comfort you need. So I think that needs to be a critical focus. Be brave, uh, be fearless, get the answers you need and the information you require to formulate the considered decisions you feel you need to make. Thank you, Oliver. I really wish we had more time to discuss today. But even in the short time we have spent together, I'm taking away three things. First, this is a large-scale system change. Change management is key. There are many stakeholders. Transparency and consultation have been large parts of the process. Second, with respect to what you discussed earlier, from a regulatory and supervisory perspective, it sounds like ASIC has really taken a leading role in terms of asking questions, educating itself, putting out papers that will be useful uh, both to other regulators and supervisors in this space and to industry in general. And finally, I really took away your advice to be brave and to delve into the issues, especially those that are the most difficult to tackle. So thank you again for taking the time out of your busy schedule to provide us with your valuable insights. Ilana, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I would also like to thank all the listeners of this podcast. Toronto Centre is currently working on numerous podcasts regarding different initiatives in the capital market space. So please check back on the Toronto Centre website regularly.